Thanks, Sean. We're continuing our series through Acts. Just look at this amazing journey of the spread of the gospel where God, uh, through Jesus, his own son, proclaims people to his disciples to go out and make disciples. And we see this happening. And every time we see it happening week after week, we see people coming to faith. It teaches us something different about God's character and the sort of people that God reaches out to and how we can learn from that and how God even reaches out to us and the people around us. Uh, it is an amazing lesson. It's a good lesson to be refreshed in. So I'm going to pray that God might just help us to appreciate his love for us this morning. Would you please pray with me? Dear Father, I do thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus. We thank you that uh, the testimony of him and his work is written down for us, particularly through this, uh, the book of Acts, where the, the acts of Jesus are continuing to work out in changing people's lives. Lord, some 2,000 years later, we pray for us that we will realise the amazing work that you are doing, that you can transform us also through Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most incredible uh, things or concepts that blows my mind is the idea of adoption. That somebody would adopt somebody from outside of their family to come in. I mean, lots of people do it for different reasons. I know there's the Madonna-type adoption or Angelina Jolie adoption where kind of like we want one of every colour just to make a matching set of children. But I mean, really opening up your household going, look, here's somebody who's far from my family that I want to make a part of my family. The idea of that there's this, includes somebody else in this connection that only a family has, this, this idea of uh, unconditional love, this closeness, that somebody might, uh, somebody distant from your family might actually be a part of your family. It's pretty radical. And I think there's something inside of us that God's made us in our DNA that, that connects with this idea of family, that we all love this family and, and closeness and this unconditional love. Something that uh, we all crave for. When we've got it, we usually don't appreciate it. Uh, but when we haven't got it, it's like I'm missing out. I've got this, this emptiness in my heart that I need to be a part of the family. I was reading something recently that really highlighted this. It was a 75-year-old man in China named Huan Kui. He advertised it in his local newspaper. And what he said in the newspaper uh, was he wanted to be, he wanted, he was appealing for a family to adopt him. And he made it clear, I'm not after your money, I've got money. I'm not after your house, I live in my own house. In fact, you can live with me if you want. But what he said is, I wake up, to an empty house every day, feeling alone and miserable. I seek a family to fill the remainder of my life with warmth. There's something about family, isn't there? There's something that goes, I like to be a part of something, not just a group or a club that accepts me for who I am or what I bring to the table, but somebody who accepts me just for being me, for being a part of the group, uh, for, for being loved unconditionally. It takes that whole relationship, uh, the, the adoption idea, takes the whole idea of relationship to another level, isn't it? How, to, how would you uh, take somebody else in to your family? I mean, I'm sure it's something you've considered, adoption or even um, yeah, any of that way of um, looking after foster children or anything like that. You know, if your own kids misbehave, it's your fault, but if another kid comes into your household, you know, who do you blame? Do you treat them... <clears throat> like your own child, your very own child, 
Or are they always going to be off at a distance? Well, they're not really my child, so I'm not really to blame for their behaviour. The whole idea of unconditional love then by choice, it's just amazing. It's an amazing concept. But I want to suggest to you this morning, it's only when we get our head around what this means, this adoption, it's only then when we understand what Christianity is really about or God's love is what it's really about, or who you are if you call yourself a Christian. It's only when you understand adoption is you understand your identity and how that works. And we get a brilliant picture of how this unfolds through these couple of chapters in Acts. Uh, we pick the story of Peter up. Um, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, just follows different people along for a bit of a journey. This week we're looking at Peter's journey. If you've got your Bible open there, you just flick back a page to Acts chapter 9, where you see where Peter's picked up, chapter 9, verse 32. We're told Peter's going about town to town in Judea, which are um, Jewish kind of... Um, Jewish religion so they know about faith they know about God in this sort of area and he meets a man called Aeneas Uh, he's paralysed been can't walk for eight years and what can you do for somebody who's paralysed how can you heal them how can you help them but yet Peter does the impossible by saying Jesus Christ heals you get up and the man the man immediately gets up and walks. Everybody's amazed, praises God, and more people turn to God. Then we shortly see, soon after, he gets called to another village, and uh, hears about this lady, Tabitha, uh, still in Judea, still in a sort of a Jewish heartland. But she's just died. A bit late for the get-up miracle for her, being paralysed. Uh, in fact, she's been dead for a while, That they've actually washed her body and they put perfume on the body, ready to put the body into a tomb. That's how dead she is. What's Peter going to do? It's impossible to help her out at this point. But yet he says to her, Tabitha, get up. And she did. After being dead, she got up. And she showed people, everybody could see, her friends could see. And again, many people believed in the Lord. We get these stories, Peter travelling around, healing people. The next town he's called to go to, uh, to meet a man called Cornelius in Caesarea. This is more Gentile country now. It's not your Jewish homeland. It's Gentile country. Cornelius has a kind of a disability, a spiritual disability, because he's a Gentile. How that works is you've got the Jews, which are traditionally known as God's homeland, God's home people. The Jews are his traditional people. They're in the family, you could say. But Gentiles, they're like the other side of town. They're, they're, you know, you stay away from the Gentiles. It's kind of like saying uh, God is a holy God and he's perfectly pure. God cannot uh, go near anything that's sinful or unclean, we might say. So therefore, if God's a holy God, if you're a part of his family, one of the Jews of the day, you're called to be holy and pure as well. So don't you go associating with sinners like the Gentiles. Don't do it. In fact, if you uh, go near a Gentile or befriend a Gentile, you become unclean and you have to go through a purification process. The Jews and Gentiles had so much tension, particularly Jews not wanting to be contaminated by the Gentiles. Uh, One story uh, is recorded about how in the marketplace, if the Jews had their, if you're a potter and you make all your pottery and you've got it laid out in the ground in the marketplace, if a Gentile was to walk by and their shadow was cast across that that your section of pottery, 
You'd have to smash all your pottery, destroy it. It's unclean. You can't purify it because a Gentile shadow has walked across it. That's the tension. That's, that's how they don't want to mix with the Gentiles or be unclean. And we pick this up in the story. When we get to verse 28, Peter's being called to go to Cornelius's house. Cornelius has rounded up all his friends and family to be there. Well, no, we've got this Jewish guy come to tell us something important. Uh, he, he'd received a vision from God that Peter was going to come. Peter comes and he's really uncomfortable with this whole situation walking into a Gentile's house. He says in verse 28, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. This is a radical statement that he's making. God has shown me that it's okay for me to come to your household. See, for Peter... He's always been raised in a household, a Jewish household, that says don't mix with Gentiles, the other side of town. Don't mix with them. His father would say, you know, just don't even go over that way. Don't befriend any of them. Don't go to the same school as them. Don't get a job with Gentiles. Just stay away. And he would have learned it from his father. Stay away from the Gentiles. Stay away from those guys the other side of town. And from his grandfather. It goes on and on, generation after generation. This goes back 1,500 years when Moses commanded them uh, about how they are to live a pure life and how they, they were the chosen people of God and not to, to go out and, and dilute themselves with other, other communities. It's a long tradition, but now something has changed. It's not just a narration of Peter was bold and tried to do something different. No, something significant has changed. See, Peter, just before this, if you've got a Bible open there, you can skim it up. It's a long passage. We didn't read it all. Uh, but Peter received a vision from God showing him these animals coming down on a sheet. So you've got um, Jews are not to be contaminated from Gentiles. Jews are also not to be contaminated by unclean animals. And there was a particular group of animals they shouldn't do that with. But now they see uh, these animals that he shouldn't touch, let alone eat, God's dropping down a sheet and God's saying, you know, you can kill them, eat them, enjoy them. Peter's like, no, 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 that can't be right. You know, that's, that's not right. Three times God had to show him, here are the animals, kill them, eat them, enjoy them. Until he finally realised, man, God's really serious about this. That the clean is no longer, uh, the unclean is no longer unclean. Now for those Gentiles knowing that, you know, generation after generation the Jews won't come near you, uh, for them, this is a miracle that Peter has actually walked through the front door, not only through the front door, he's come into the lounge room to address this crowd of people. That Peter is no longer rejecting us. He's not rejecting us. And God's told him that it's okay. This is a miracle that Peter's come into the house. But Peter says, I've come to tell you something greater, a greater miracle than just me being here. You can see it in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. He says, now I realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So it's just not just me, Peter, who's told to accept you, but God himself says he's going to accept you. You know how radical that is. You're not going to be pushed away. You're not the people from the other side of town anymore. But you've got to ask the question, what has changed? Has God just changed his mind? Has God uh, just decided to relax his holiness, that it's okay to mix with anybody in, in any sin? 
What's changed after 1,500 years of tradition that God has set it out this way? Peter then goes on to explain in a, in a bit of a sermon that we had read for us uh, that Jesus is the one God has sent. God himself has come to, send, uh, to, to see people to fix up this, this broken relationship. You see, you use the language, God sent uh, Jesus to bring peace. And how does he describe Jesus? By using the terms uh, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's Lord of all, that he's God's anointed. It's truly Jesus is the one. He's God's man, God's messenger. He's God's very own son that he's sent. And he says you can see that and he refers to what happened with John the Baptist, that where the whole Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, was there in one place endorsing this action. So you've got God the Father um, opening up the heavens from earth, saying, this is my son whom I love, onto Jesus who's in the water. Jesus, God's son, is in the water with John the Baptist. And at that point, the Holy Spirit comes down onto Jesus and it says with power it comes down. So you get God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit all at one point there, at the start of Jesus' ministry. Peter goes on to explain then that Jesus went out freeing people from the power of the devil. He goes out healing and helping them, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He says, we were witnesses of it all. Yeah, this is a historical fact. I saw it. I was eyewitnesses. I was there. I can tell you all this happened. That Jesus came to help Israel, God's people. That was what he came to. That's a people he saw was mainly in Israel, God's people. But he says, they rejected him and they killed him on a tree, on a cross. God sends his own son to rescue his own people. But yet they reject him, they kill him. The worst of criminals. They held him up like a criminal blasphemer. But yet God was doing his work through that. But God raised him from the dead. It's not the end of the story. If Jesus ends there, there's nothing to talk about. It's not the end of the story. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and Peter goes to assure them that this is real. We saw it. Many people saw Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, we were sitting, we ate and drank with Jesus. We had meals with him. He was truly dead, truly buried and now truly alive to show us that he truly is God. God's son coming to restore man to God, the father. People saw him. We ate and drank with him and it's through him you can receive the forgiveness of sins. Through him, your sins are washed clean. Those on the outside can now become inside. And at that very moment as he's explaining that, the Holy Spirit comes down, we're told, onto this group of Gentiles. You need to feel how radical this is, that this has never happened in all the records of Scripture up to this point. That God would come down on a number of Gentiles, a bit like uh, the day at Pentecost, where the believers got the Holy Spirit but this is a group of Gentiles, outsiders, Gentiles who are always pushed away, don't come near us, you're not a part of the family. But now God, his Holy Spirit, is coming into them. We need to understand what's going on there even, that this is God himself, his Holy Spirit is God, that he would come and the Bible uses language like it lives in us, it dwells in us. Uh, so he's a part of our lives. This is really God coming into our lives as sinners, as us, as Gentiles. When that happens today, that God actually comes into our lives. But you go, hang on, if God's a holy God and doesn't, cannot contaminate himself with sin and uncleanliness, how can he do that? Has God negotiated on his purity? But no, it's because of Jesus. And he goes on, there's three main things that, 
that Peter's saying in his sermon here. The one that Jesus is historically real. Jesus is God's own son. He did come. He did get killed. He did get buried. And he did get raised from death. We saw him. Jesus is historically real. The second thing, through Jesus' death, is forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins, which means we're washed clean. It's not God negotiates his holiness, but we're justified. We're forgiven. We're washed clean so God can enter our lives, that we can draw near to him without fear. And the third radical thing that we're seeing here is that it's even for the Gentiles, for the worst of worst of sinners, no matter what you've done, no matter what your heritage, no matter where you come from, that God still reaches out to you and welcomes you into the family. He says the Spirit confirms it. We all saw it. The idea that Jesus could wash things clean, forgive us, to die for our sins, is radical. It means the difference from somebody always being an outsider can now be an insider. I would go, and I'm happy for you to push back on this, I'll go this is the second biggest miracle in the New Testament. The biggest miracle is that Jesus, God's son, would actually come and choose willingly to die for us and be raised again on the third day. That's amazing that God would do that. It's a miracle. But the other miracle that God would do that for even for sinners, people who are far from him, rejected him. This is amazing what we're seeing going on here. And we can see how radical it is by the reaction from the people who are there. You can pick it up at verse 45 uh, after the Holy Spirit comes. It says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, so these are the Jewish believers from the Jewish background that are uncomfortable with the whole Gentile thing. They saw and were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. It's like, can this be true? Are we really seeing what's going on here in this room? Gentiles, God actually coming into the life of Gentiles. This is radical. They've never seen it before, never heard of it happening before. And Peter's so astonished, he's going, well, look, they've got the Holy Spirit. We can see God's accepted them. Why wouldn't we accept them? That's why he says there's any reason why we shouldn't baptise them because baptism is just a, a symbol of saying they're now part of the family. Baptism's going, welcome. It's like an initiation kind of thing. It's just a sign for saying you're now one of us. You're part of the family as God's children. This is so radical that it's like a bomb's just hit one spot in Cornelius's house here that the ripples then go out. Because then what's going to happen to the rest of the apostles and the other believers back in Jerusalem? They haven't heard about Peter's vision, but they do now. We pick it up in verse 11. Uh, we stop reading there, but I'll, let me just feed it on if you've got the Bible open there. Verse 11, chapter 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. The word's filtered back. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, so the Jews, they criticised him. Now, us reading it through our filter today, they'd be going, praise God that God's word's going out and transforming people. But you've got to remember, 1,500 years of tradition, God said, don't do it. And now, Peter's gone into the house of a Gentile. What are you doing, Peter? What are you doing? And verse 3, they said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. This is the problem. What were you thinking when you're doing this, Peter? This is not for them. They're not one of us. 
But then Peter goes on to explain and tells them everything that just happened. Look, I went, I went there. God gave me the vision and told me it was okay to go there. That, that, that's clean. We told them, told me to go there, and I did. I got an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And guess what? The Holy Spirit was there, and it landed on them, and they're believers. They're, but we all saw it. And then we get to the end of his spiel, and we get the reaction in verse 18 from the apostles and the other believers who are there. They realised, it says, that God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is a big miracle. Just to put it into context a bit more, if you had Peter come back from his missionary journey, his little wanderings around all the villages, you'd go, Peter, come and tell us. You know, Peter, walk up the front here. Tell us about the lame man that you raised uh, from, that he could walk again. If, you've been if you were lame and now raised, we'd get you up, testify. What happened to you? Tell us about how in the name of Jesus the power came. Or if you were somebody... Uh, who died before and raised from the dead. We'd get you up the front too. Tell us about your experience, how God raised you from the dead. Tell us about his, how he powerfully worked in your life. But no, no, they don't even write a mention. Healing the lame, raising the dead. The big miracle they want to talk about in their meeting is tell us about the Gentiles. But I'm, this is so big a miracle, we're finding this hard to believe. Tell us about that. That's the big miracle that's going on, how they're now a part of the family. But then they can see it. They can see how God's love is abounding to, to the far reaches of humanity. doesn't matter where they come from, what they've done, what nationality they are. God's love through Jesus Christ brings them in. Undeserving love. I didn't appreciate this until I'd actually met somebody who'd been adopted before. When we talk about being adopted into the family of God, that God's reached out, uh, it's like, yeah, I know, we're sort of outsiders, but now we're insiders. But when you talk to somebody who's been adopted, really adopted, then you start to appreciate what's actually going on there. What does it mean that you're in another family? Uh, so a friend of mine who's been adopted, uh, and I'm sure there might, could well be a number of people in this congregation that's gone through this experience, but I know one of my friends has been adopted and I just had a whole bunch of questions. That you've been adopted, what does this mean? And you have all the questions go through your mind. How does it feel to be adopted? You know, I know legally they're your parents now through the bit of paper, but are they really feel like your parents? Do you really feel like a true son? Particularly if there's other members of the family who are there. Does it really feel like family? Because like you're an outsider brought in. I want to share with you this morning uh, what his answers are because they really encourage me. Uh, I asked David to come out the front. I could tell you David's answers, but he's got an awesome uh, story through his journey. So I've invited Dave to come share his experience about being um, adopted. Grab a seat. I'm going to join you. Mine's, I think mine's working. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming up the front this morning. You're welcome. Um, now, you've been a long-time member of this congregation. You're actually one of the longest, um, you say, serving members, one of the most longest-time members. You're also an elder in our church. Uh, but many people here would not know that you're adopted. Um, do you want to share with us, like, why, how, how does that work out in you and your identity and... 
why it might be? Oh, well, it just doesn't come up in conversation, so <laughs> I don't usually introduce myself. I'm David, I'm adopted, but uh, I, it's not a secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. I have a few questions for you uh, just to help us understand what this uh, really means, how it's worked out in your life. Um, so when you think of adopt, uh, when I think of adoption, I think of um, orphanage, kids uh, sitting there, dressed up in their best, put their cutest smile on, parents come and, or prospective parents come and they try and see, you know, which one we're going to choose. How did it work out for you? It was a cute smile. <laughs> still cute. Um, no, uh, I don't really know because I wasn't <coughs> cognizant of the whole thing, but um, I believe that I was adopted sort of days after I was born and mum and dad went to the Mater Hospital and picked me up and took me home, back to the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't something like, um, I'm sure you did have a cute smile, but it wasn't because of your amazing intellect or amazing sort of, hey, this, this guy's going to really benefit our family. You're too young for them to, to realise. That's right. I mean, it was just uh, their desire to have a child and um, I guess I was, I was blessed that I was chosen by them. They could have chosen any other baby, but it was, uh, it was me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. So how would you describe your relationship? I, I've known your parents. Some of us here know Dave's parents. Your dad died a few years ago now. Um, but how does it feel, uh, how's your relationship with them in that, do they really feel like your real parents? Absolutely. No one else feels like mum and dad, uh, except for John and Jean, if I can. Yeah. Yeah, I don't call them that. Um, but I don't call my mother Jean. Um, she would not like it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's good that you respect your mum like that. So really it's feel in the Bible. like... It's in the Bible. <laughs> so you really feel like um, a true part of the family? Because uh, after you were adopted, they naturally um, were a daughter. So you've got a sister as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, does that make you feel like you're a second-class member of the family? No. From my perspective, uh, Mum and Dad just treated us as, as equals. Um, but if you ask Julie, she'll think that I was the preferred one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were chosen. So. Uh, it always raises an interesting question for me then. You've got this family. You say... Every bit is genuine and real. They're your mum and dad. She's your sister. You're the son. But you also know that there's your natural parents out there. And I think TV shows have showed a lot of amazing stories of people meeting their natural parents. Is that something that's ever one, like you've ever thought about, meeting your natural parents? Uh, no, not really. Um, mum and dad were mum and dad. And uh, there was no need for anyone else. Um, the law in Queensland changed when I was a, a young adult and uh, we were able to uh, put our name forward and if both parties agreed they could, they could hook up. But uh, it was something that never interested me. Yeah, yeah. So with this whole idea, I, I just find that amazing that... Um, uh, to me that shows a real genuineness in what you're saying about they are my mum and dad. Mm. It's like I've got no empty gap that needs filling. No, Which means you must really feel like you are a genuine son. Yeah, no, they chose me um, and they chose me out of love. So yeah, the love that they showed by choosing me is, is even better than a natural birth in my, in my opinion because, yeah, if a natural birth you don't have a choice. But, well, um, yeah, so th by adopting me they, they chose to show their love in that way and to, 
to to bless both of us, uh, both parties, I guess. Yeah. I think it's amazing that, yeah, like you say, the whole process of actively saying we're going to accept somebody else into our family, actively choose to do that. Yeah, it is amazing. It was. The um, the whole journey through you, uh, you know, having that experience. How does that, when you read this stuff now about being adopted into God's family, does that give you any different insight or what do you appreciate about that, about adoption into God's family? Well, whenever I read the Bible stories that talk, uh, the, the Bible stories, whenever I read Bible verses that talk about uh, where sons of God, um, well, Gentiles are the sons of God from the, from the New Testament point of view, uh, it, you know, it always brings back that, that I was... Uh, you know, in that situation where I was, um, for whatever reason, uh, not um, not going to be part of my biological parents' family, so um, I was I was chosen as a as a baby to be um, part of another family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's amazing because before I met you, I think it was just kind of a concept, but now it helps me understand. Uh, yeah, how we can value being a true son of God, sons and daughters, um, which we're going to reflect on a bit more in a few minutes. Is there anything we can be praying for you? You're now married, got your own family. Is there anything we've been praying for you guys about? Not looking at adopting. <laughs> <laughs> which goes to show it's more amazing than I, your I just have one thing, one thing more to say, and I'll need the guys at the back to help me with that. We have a lot in common with Superman. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Um, so what superpower do you have? Um, I can read minds. Yeah. So you were thinking you're going to wear your undies on except the outside of your pants. <laughs> except my wife's mind. I can't read that one. <laughs> I'm going to take the opportunity to pray for you. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it's something, like you say, you don't put it out there because it's not something that, you know, makes your identity change or anything but I thank you for sharing that story let's pray dear father we do thank you for David's story thank you for the journey that you've had him on that um, even through no choice of his own that you've blessed him with uh, an amazing family with parents who loved you parents who saw the value in um, raising their children to know and love you and, and live for you people saw the value in church and just a uh, very big part of this church in the early days but Lord, we thank you for David now that um yeah, now he has his own family and just realising what parenting's all about as well. Lord, we just thank you for um, blessing him with that. We pray for strength and wisdom, uh, even with the idea of adoption, Lord, that, um, yeah, values that as, as seeing outsiders and welcome, welcoming them as part of his family, even if they are just friends. Uh, so, Lord, we just thank you for the blessing he is to us, how he serves us as an elder. And Lord, we just thank you for the encouragement it is that it's just a taste for us to, to know what it means to be adopted into your family. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Ross. I do love the line that David said about um, kind of like unlike a natural mum and dad, his folks cho chose to adopt him. That's a great reminder for us. There's undeserving for us that we should come into God's family but God chooses to reach out to us sent his son to die for us and it's through him that we can be a real part of the family 
We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And what we're doing there uh, is something that Jesus told his disciples to do about eating and drinking, remembering what he's done, uh, but also looking forward to him coming home again. And there's so many verses you can go to here reminding us of our identity in Jesus when we trust in him, that even if you're an outsider and you want to follow Jesus, that this is a time to say, yeah, I do want to see you as Lord of my life, Saviour is my life, my Messiah, that you can do that today, that through doing the Lord's Supper, participating in it, is saying, yes, you are the one that's changed me and we are doing this as a family here at Southside, but a family of all believers. Uh, in Galatians 3:26, Paul's talking to, to the people there. And this is a new church of uh, some with Jewish background, some with Gentiles background, and they're trying to come together. And Paul explains to them there, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I should explain, he's only used the word sons, not daughters, because in that tradition, the sons are the ones that are held in the highest honour. You know, they're the ones who get the inheritance. They're the ones who get the Father's blessing in a prominent way. But he's saying, even if your daughter's like, you are treated as sons. You are held in highest honour in the family. So saying, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's something we're celebrating this morning, that through Jesus, through believing in him and him alone, that we can be a part of the family, that we're nothing that we've done that we deserve, but we can claim the rights of God's true sons uh, as his children. It was Jesus on the night before he was arrested and went to the cross that he had a meal with the disciples and through the meal he illustrated what he was going to do by going to the cross and he held up a bit of bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body which is given for you. And he held that up in front of him. My body is going to be broken for you. And he held up the cup he says, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. Remember me whenever you drink it. He says, what I'm doing in shedding my blood is bringing in something new. And we celebrate that today. We're no longer outsiders as Gentiles, but we can come in because of Jesus. Again, if you're here today and you want to claim him as your Lord and Saviour, when the bread and juice comes around, take it. Uh, after everybody's being served, we're going to eat and drink together because that's what families do. Uh, but we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And I remind you again, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible is bringing Gentiles in, the miracle that even we can be a part of his family. I'm going to pray now before we serve them out. Dear Father, we just thank you for your amazing love that when we reflect on what you did through your son Jesus in reaching out to a people who are undeserving, people who are lost, us, who are sinners, unclean. But Lord, through Jesus' death, his shedding of blood, his body broken, Lord, we might be able to be made righteous and come into your family. Lord, what amazing miracle that is. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We know how we live and we do live as sinners. But Lord, through this time, Lord, we come before you and ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for not living like your children. 
but we also come to the table with joy, celebrating the fact that you've done something that we could never do, and that is to become righteous, to be justified and forgiven. So Lord, we just thank you for uh, accepting us, anyone into your family, but it's through Jesus. And we rejoice in that this morning. Amen.